Today we're doing uh, something unique. We are celebrating uh, the life of those who have outrun us in the race. Um, it's called the uh, All Saints Day today, and we're going to have a recognition of that in just a little while in this service. We are also taking communion together, so I'm, I'm going to try to pull these things together in our message today. Um, as, we, as we really, the title of it is Uncovered by Time, and, and that's something that, that um, I think happens in our lives. Um, our true self, our true heart just becomes exposed as time goes on, and um, especially after we're gone, and what will we, we be remembered by? I'm reminded of that great song by Steve Green um, from probably 20 or 30 years ago, tells you how old I am. It's called uh, Find Us Faithful, and um, I love the picture it paints uh, about the future and the legacy we leave. And I want to share those words with you to that song. We have them on the screen for you, I think. Yes, we are. Um, and look at this. It says, We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, not only for the prize, but for those who've gone before us, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. And the last verse says this, after all our hopes and dreams have come and gone and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover Become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. And the chorus says this, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. And aren't those great words? It makes you just kind of stand tall, doesn't it? You say, gosh, I want to leave a legacy to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. So when they talk about their Papa Jay or their whatever your Papa is or your Grandmama is, they want to remember you for this legacy that you have left them. You know, when we get to the end of life, I can only imagine uh, this question might come to mind. Did my life really matter? I mean, when I look back over the years, what is the most important thing about my life? Will the world know um, what I really am about? Will my family, the those that I love, will they know what I value the most? Will there be no doubt about it? When you, you see, when you try to live a life with purpose, you want to leave a legacy. Uh, Stephen Covey, who wrote about the highly effective habits uh, of people, is... Um, is very helpful here. He says, one of, one of the things he says is, always begin with the end in mind. So look at your life in a way that asks, how do I want to finish this race? How do I want to be remembered in the end? And that's where we begin. We start there and go, in order for me to get there, where do I need to start in my life? Someone once said it this way. He says, live such a life that nobody has to lie at your funeral. And you think, gosh, that's true. But I don't, I don't want people to guess, be going, well, I think he was a pretty kind fellow. I think he was a pretty compassionate guy. I think he had things that drove his life. I want them to know that they know. You know, I want to leave no doubt in my life. I think we all want to get it right. We all want it, want it to be the right thing, you know. In Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 12, we find one of the teachers of the law wanting to get it right. And so turn with me, if you will, Mark 12, beginning verse 28. 
and we're going to read through 34. And he says this in verse 20, he says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, if you don't know anything about this, this is a really loaded question. Because in the, in the Jewish faith, uh, they have over 600 laws and commandments, 633 to be exact. 633 laws found in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And, and he, this guy is going, you know, you, you want to say, is this guy serious? I mean, is he trying to trap Jesus? You want me to boil down 633 laws and commandments down to one? Just one? I don't think he was trying to trick him. I think he is really looking for an easier way to fulfill the law. I think it, he could be asking, when I get to the end of my life, what is the one thing that I need to make sure I do? What is the one law, if there's any that I need to keep, this is the one I need to keep. In verse 29, Jesus answers him. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Jesus gives him a second one, even though he only asked for one. He says, these are the two. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, in loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to fulfill all the rest. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And it says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God when you love God and you love people. When you love God with all. Did you see that? With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. With all your strength. No compartmentalizing. No, no I, I want to just think about God today or I'm just going to give him this day. No, it's all, every single piece of it. And we love people. And this is great. Now you know what you need in order to leave a legacy, to be found faithful. You know what you need now. I love God and I love people. And now I can do it. But the bigger question is, but how do I do this? I mean, how does this, what does this look like in life? How do I live this out uh, in my life? Well, you can turn to Mark 8, 34. This gives us a clue. Uh, Mark 8, 34 through 38, he says in 34, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said this. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Who was Jesus inviting here to be a disciple? Whoever. He said, whoever. That's right, whoever wants to be my disciple. So whose decision is it to follow Christ? It's my decision. It's your decision. No one makes it for you. It is your decision to follow him. You see, becoming a disciple of Jesus is your choice. But it is not something that happens and passes like a train going across Ford Avenue in Richmond Hill five times a day where you stop, you watch, you count, you go 151. Okay, that's over. Now we move on. It is not something that just passes you by that you experience for a moment. I want you to look at this. 
Notice in, in verse 34, it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple. Your basic English class will tell you the word to be is present tense. It means right here, right now. It is a moment of experience. It is a state of living. It's not something that happened and is over. But rather, it is arriving and we are joining. That's why Jesus invites us to come and follow Him, to walk with Him, not just to go, oh, there He goes, and just tip our hat. It is an invitation to be in relationship with Him, to experience life with Him and come in with Him. So it's not just a here and now, but a walking with Him. Verse 35, he goes on, he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The answer is nothing. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. If you want to leave a legacy, be a disciple. You want a life that is found faithful? You want a life that is truly life? You want life with purpose? Stop trying to live it for yourself and start living for those who follow you. Live your legacy now. Let them know what you believe in. Be a disciple. Don't just try. Be one. Be loving. Be faithful to God. And you say, look, I can't keep this up. Well, all you got to do is be it today. Tomorrow will take care of itself tomorrow. It has enough worries of its own. So just live for it today. Live for Him today. We live in a world that, that thinks Jesus didn't really mean this for everyone. We think, oh, this is only for people who are called. And, and this world thinks, well, can I just believe in Jesus and everything will turn out okay? I mean, can I just, can I do that? I mean, what's, and what's this carrying a cross and letting go of my own life to follow Jesus? What is that all about? This sounds too extreme. This sounds too, too hard. Well, look, the gospel is a radical solution to a catastrophic problem. You understand that? We have sin that gets into our lives, and we can't get it off. It doesn't wash off. It doesn't scrub off. We can't be good enough. We just, it doesn't get away from us. They're, they're, we are in a mess. It is a catastrophic problem that will tear us all down, but Christ has given us a way. The good news is Jesus Christ, that He has come and He's given Himself for us to clean us up, to give us the way out. It's something we can't do for ourselves, but we have to be a disciple to walk with Him. Can you imagine if you had terminal cancer and the doctor told you um, that you needed this certain kind of treatment and all you had to do was to believe in the effectiveness of the treatment. You didn't really have to do anything. You just had to believe that the treatment would work. You wouldn't have to do it. Now, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? We'd go, well, no, because we end up going to our grave Believing that the treatment worked, but we never took the treatment. And that's how it is with Christ. Trusting Jesus is not a transaction. It is a total abandonment of self. Where did we get the idea that believing something in your head or saying you believe in the truth of something could somehow add up to following Christ? Following Christ is a lifestyle. 
You see, the confidence of our faith in Jesus is found in the resurrection. That's why we have confidence. It's not we have to run around scared all the time, wondering if we're good enough, because we're not. We can't be good enough. That's why we go, Jesus, save me. I need Jesus in my life. You need Jesus in your life to rescue you because we're in a mess. Did you know in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament temple, the most holy place um, was this, this place of utter importance and value. It was so important and so valuable that you never messed around in there. You didn't play hide and seek and hide in the most holy of holies. I mean, this was a sacred and terrifying place. It was the most terrifying place on the planet. It's because that's where the presence of God resided. And did you know that in this space behind a curtain, there sat the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark was the mercy seat, and the priest would enter in there only one day a year, only one day. It was called the Day of Atonement. And it was a day that he would offer the blood sacrifice of the, of the bulls and the goats that they had sacrificed at the Passover meal that we celebrate during Holy Week. Um, they, would, they would sacrifice these animals for their sins, and the, the priest would go in and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and, and atone for all the sins that they committed for the Passover year. But it is told that the tradition tells us that they would tie a rope around the priest's waist and they would sew bells inside of his robe when he went in there just in case he walked in and he was unworthy and he dropped dead because he was in the presence of God and they would be able to pull him out. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very confident to me, does it? You're like, hey, buddy, we're slapping you on the back, break a leg in there. I hope you're good, because <laughs> if you're not, you're going to be really embarrassed when we're having to haul you out by the rope. But see, what happened is when Christ died on the cross and he said it is finished and his blood was shed, the Bible tells us that that temple veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was split open. And it revealed the inside and gave us access straight to God himself. We don't have to go through a, a prince, I mean a, a priest, a prince, that's funny, and uh, through a priest. You can go straight in yourself because Christ died for you. His blood was good enough for everybody for the rest of time. And it's good for you. And then that gives us access. That's why we have confidence that we can go before Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 puts it this way. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Look at this. What does it say? It says, Who has confidence? We do. Why do we have confidence? What do we have it in? To enter the holy of holies, the most holy place ourselves. And how do we get there? By the blood of Jesus. It is Jesus' sacrifice for you and me. The blood of Christ gives you access to God directly. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, who had no sin, to be. You hearing this? Present tense. Made him who had no sin to be present tense sin for us. Not just the sin of the past, but the sins of right now that we live in and we walk in right now. Why did he do that? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You have access to the Father. There it is. There it is. My ability to be a disciple has been given to me by the blood of Jesus. 
My confidence giver is your confidence giver. You have access. This is not by might. It's not by power that I can follow Christ, but is by the Spirit of God who has lovingly given me access to himself and eternal life. It is in this confidence that I can love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. It's in this confidence that I can love my neighbor as I love myself. I know I'm flawed. You know I'm flawed. I know you're flawed. So there we're even. So we have this confidence that because Christ loves us and died for us, when I put my faith in him, he makes me whole. He makes me pure. And he's working on making me a disciple. You see, your heart and all its treasures will one day be uncovered. They'll be revealed by time. Why not begin today with the end in mind? Why not just confess to God, Lord, I know I've messed up. And I may fail again in the future, but today, in this moment, I want to be in your presence. I want to be your disciple. I want to be forgiven. And I want to live in this moment as we walk together. How do you want to be remembered? What legacy do you want to leave? If it's to be found faithful, God gives you the confidence to approach Him and to overcome the world. I'm reminded of that old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.